Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's where we've been spending a little bit of time here lately. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. If you have found that within your Bibles, Ephesians 5 verse 8, if you would be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's read this section of scripture together. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8, it reads like this. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Father, this morning I thank you so much for our time worshiping you through praising you in the songs that we have sung, through our fellowship together, through our time of Bible study in Sunday school. And Father, now as we approach your throne of grace through the word, your very spoken word to us, focus our attention solely upon you, upon that which you would say to us individually this morning and say to us corporately as a church. Father, today you make very little of me and very much of yourself that you may be glorified in this place. This we pray in the name of your Precious Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been spending a little time in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And when we left off a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about those characteristics that are mentioned there uh, in that ninth verse where he tells us out of the eighth verse that we are in the light. And he goes to these characteristics in the ninth verse that he tells us what it is that the characteristics of walking in the light should expose to the world. What should be seen in our life, those things that should should show up as the fruit on our tree. That's why he uses the word fruit, because you can know the goodness or the the life of a tree by the fruit that it bears. Any tree that does not bear fruit, an axe is laid to its its base and it is cut down to make room for those trees that will grow fruit and produce. And, And so on each of our trees hangs a fruit. That gives an obvious uh, explanation of what our life is. And he tells us here that we are to be this light to the world, as Jesus said. We're to shine as a light on a hill. We're not to place a basket over our light. We're to shine out so that we can be seen in this world, not for who we are, but for who Christ is. Because the light that shines within us is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We're just like the flame that draws the moth. Each of us is a flame of Jesus Christ that draws a moth of an unsaved person to us. Not that they would hear what we have to say, but that they would hear what Jesus Christ has done in our life. And each of us have a story to tell. Each of us have a story that the story may differ in how it happened in our life, but it's one story. It's the story of an amazing God, an all-powerful God, who chose to look down from heaven and select us to be in His family and to send His only begotten Son to never sin, to die upon a cross, that our sins may be washed clean by the blood that flowed from His body. 
And he didn't leave him on that cross. He placed him in a tomb that three days later was found to be empty because Jesus himself said, you tear the temple down and in three days I'll rebuild it. And when he said that, he wasn't talking about that physical temple that we saw was missing on the, on the temple mount. He wasn't speaking of that temple. He was talking about him, the temple. He said, you tear the temple down. You do what you must. But in three days, this temple will be alive. And I'm here to tell you, we looked within the tomb that he was buried in and he is not there. <laughs> he is alive. And he is alive in each one who has come to know him as your Lord and Savior. And if he is alive in you, there should be a light that shines in your life. And he tells us there in that ninth verse that the very first characteristic, the very first fruit that shows up in our life is this fruit of goodness. If you remember two weeks ago, I told you there was two ways of looking at goodness. There was an intrinsic goodness. A goodness that says a thing is good, uh, such as a food that you eat. You say, boy, that tasted good. That's intrinsic. You say, well, this, this tree bears a lot of apples. That is a good apple tree. That's an intrinsic thing that this tree is bearing. You may even say, for those who do different types of work, you may, you may say, boy, that tractor, that is a good tractor. Well, that's an intrinsic type of things. That, that is an intrinsic characteristic. But what Paul was speaking of whenever Paul talked about this goodness, if you remember, was that uh, agathosune was the word that he used for goodness. And it had within it that love word, that love word. You remember the love word, the love word that Jesus showed? Because there are a lot of different words for love, but there is the agape love that Jesus showed for us. It was that love that he gave everything that he was, not expecting anything in return. It was an unconditional love. And whenever he used this word agathsune, he was using this word intentionally. That this goodness should be a goodness that is all giving, expecting absolutely nothing in return. See, that is the goodness that should hang on our tree. That is the goodness that should be seen. Just to give you a picture of that, look with me over at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the very first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, in the 11th verse, it says this, Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfilling all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it that was praying? In this particular book, it's Paul, it's Silvanus and Timothy that are writing this letter to the Thessalonican church. And they're praying for those believers at the church. And, and they're saying there, we want, we want to count you worthy of this calling. This walk of light in our life shows our worthiness of the calling. And he says we want the, God to fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. You see, the goodness that should hang on our tree is not our goodness. It's not the things that we do. For even the lost people, the people that know nothing of Jesus Christ, will walk an old lady across the street. They'll open the door for someone coming in. They'll pick up something someone's dropped and hand it back to them. They'll be good in that manner. But that's not the goodness that Paul's talking about. The goodness that Paul's talking about is his goodness with a capital H. The goodness of God. He said he wants that goodness to be fulfilled in us and the work of faith with power. He wants your faith to have a certain sense of power about it. How many of you ever feel weak in your faith? 
Do you ever feel like at times you're a little weak? A lot of times whenever I ask you to jump up and share your testimony or say good things, you suddenly get weak need in your faith. <laughs> when we say something about let's go out and share the gospel with the community, suddenly you get a little weak need in your faith. What Paul's telling the Thessalonica church and the same thing he's telling us in the book of Ephesians, he wants our faith to be full of this power, this power that comes from God. And he goes on to say, why does he want the goodness to show up? Why does he want there to be power in your faith? He tells us in verse 12 that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. Why are you still here? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if all that you accepted him for was to have your place in heaven, answer me this riddle. Why then are you still here? You see, if salvation was a one-way ticket to heaven, then God's messed up. Because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If the only reason I was saved was to gain a seat in a place called heaven, God's messed up. Because I'm still here. So there must be more to the story. The more to the story is that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in me. How is that done? That is done because of this goodness, this light of goodness in our life. So that was the first characteristic that he showed us. The second characteristic you'll notice there in verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 5 is he says he wants the fruit of the Spirit and all goodness, but then he mentions this word righteousness. Here he starts cutting the wheat from the chaff. You see, the ultimate goal of goodness is not that we would be uh, right with God alone. But the ultimate goal of this goodness is that we would not only be right with God, but we would be right with the world. It affects our relationship with the world. And through that relationship that he would be glorified. Now he steps into this realm of righteousness. Paul gives us the characteristics that has to do directly with our relationship with the Almighty God. You see, we can sit on our laurels, we can hang out on a bench in a church, we can do all the activities of the church and be good, but when it comes to righteousness, it raises the bar a few feet. See, he tells us that he desires that we be righteous. Where does he mention this? Where else does he talk about it? Romans. Romans is a great place to look at, at this, this righteousness that he talks about in, in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, he talks about faith being counted to us as this righteousness. He says in Romans 4, 13, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of him who he believed. And that was God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Remember the definition of faith? Belief in the things that do not exist. He says he calls those things which do not exist as, those, as though they did. He goes on to say in verse 18, who contrary to hope, 
Now he compares hope and faith. And hope believes so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And again, he brings out scripture and says, so shall your descendants be. Remember what he told Abraham? Your descendants will be as many as the stars you look upon. Your descendants will be as many as the grains of sand. When did he tell Abraham this? When he had how many kids? Zero. When his wife was barren and he was well up in age. He goes on to say in verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. Anybody in the house a hundred years old yet? Anybody in their 90s? Yeah. 80s maybe. We got a few in the 80s. How many of you would like for me to have to visit you in the maternity ward in about nine months? Anybody? <laughs> but you see, you see what's happening. He's saying, I'm 100 years old, but because God said it, I don't consider myself dead to what God said. He goes on to say, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now he brings his wife into the picture. Goes on to say, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving God the glory. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Did, did you hear that? <laughs> Abraham, a hundred years old, no children, a wife that was unbearing, decided that what God was able to promise, he was able to do. That's faith. That is faith. He goes on to verse 22 to say, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, when we think about this righteousness that Paul has just thrown at our feet in Ephesians, where does righteousness come from? Faith. Righteousness starts with the seed of faith. There are many of us that read the Bible. And we say we believe it cover to cover. Is there anyone in the house that believes the Bible cover to cover? Do you, do you believe it's God's word? Do you believe what's written in the Bible you hold in your hand is what God intended to be written? Yes. If you do not, you do not understand the fact that God spoke to us just as if he was sitting in the pew next to you when these words were penned. And God has made promises in this Bible that many of us desire to come true. Word the testimony this morning of a family who had a new baby. How many of us, when we have a new baby, would desire for that baby to come out with health issues? Anyone? No. The first thing many parents do when they see the baby, they won't always admit it. They count their toes and fingers, don't they? Yeah. You always look to make sure they got all the pieces parts in the right place. I deal with many families that go through sickness. The question is often asked to me is why? Why? Why would God let it happen? Why would God let my loved one pass? Why would I get cancer again? Why? You see, God never promises us health. That never. He doesn't say you're going to walk this earth healthy because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If he did, he owes a couple of guys in the Bible an apology. <laughs> Remember there was one that had a thorn in their side. <laughs> We've been reading his writing. There's a few of the guys whose head fell off at the sword of someone else. I would say that's pretty unhealthy. 
There were a few of the guys who followed him, walked with him, ate with him, loved on him, who were hung on crosses, some upside down because they believed. If he promised that we would walk this earth and never have a problem in our life, he owes them an apology. But you see, God didn't promise that. God promised no matter what came your way, no matter what you faced, no matter how high the mountain, he promised one thing to you. He would never leave you or forsake you. He would be with you through all things. That he would hold your hand and walk with you through the most difficult, painful times in all of your life. I can testify that that is the fact. There is no doubt in my mind that the living Savior has been with me in some of the worst times of my life. And there are many in this room that can testify the exact same thing. That God was there even when it didn't feel like he was there. When we came out of the trial and got to the opposite side, we could look back as the poem says and we see one set of footprints in the sand of destruction behind us. And that set of footprints is Jesus because Jesus was carrying us through that time in our life. You see, but it doesn't just so happen to us that way that we just believe it. We have to have faith. See, we have to have faith that the promise that God made in the Bible is true. And it starts even earlier for us. It starts all the way back to the point in time that we realize the life that we've been leading that we love so much is a life headed in the wrong direction. I don't think there's anyone in the room. I don't really don't believe there's anyone in the world. If you set them down and you got right to the heart of it and asked, has your way worked out for you? That would go, yeah, I'm good. Everything I've ever wanted, I've had. There's been no problems in my life. I really don't believe if you can get a person to be honest with you, that that would be their answer to the statement, how's life going? I believe even the vilest of people recognize the fact that there's something wrong in their life. And you see, faith starts all the way back at the point in your life when you realized the direction of your life was wrong. I know I'm speaking to the church this morning. There's many faces I've seen week in and week out for almost three years. I know you're at church every week faithfully. I know most of you attend Sunday school. There's many of you that come on Wednesday night. If we have a special function, you're in this place. But let me break the news to you. When you get to heaven and Jesus says, why should I let you in? Church attendance is not going to be in the top ten that gets you there. It's not going to be in the top five. It's not even going to be in the top hundred. Matter of fact, it's not even on the list. There's really only one answer. It's that you had the faith to believe that what Jesus Christ did upon a cross for you was sufficient to pay the penalty. It's like the song we heard this morning. Amazing grace. Amazing grace has happened. Is happening. But it only happens for you when you have the faith to believe. And when he speaks of this righteousness, it starts all the way back with this statement of faith. This believing that what God said in his word is true. And in Romans 14, all the way down through the, the, the 25th verse there, he talks about this faith of Abraham and uses this grand story that is true about a man who had, was well past the age of having children, a wife that was well past the age of having children. But when God looked him in the eye and said, you will father many nations, what did it say Abraham's response was? He believed. He believed in God. We often say, well, if God showed up with something that big, I'd believe. He's never going to show up with something that big if you don't believe the little things in life. 
And you see, the biggest thing he's ever showed up with in your life is the belief, the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Where does righteousness start? Righteousness starts with the faith to believe. It is faith in the work of Jesus Christ that makes us righteous before a holy God. It's not faith in our works, but it's the work of Jesus Christ and what he did. And that the penalty that he paid upon the cross is sufficient. I read a story just last night. Uh, Author had uh, a (laughs) well-known Baptist preacher wrote an entire article on how the atonement theory, as he put it, was not biblical. That the atonement was not biblical. It was a made-up story that you can't find it in the Bible. That to think that what Christ did upon a cross to atone for your penalties, uh, the penalty of your sin, was not exactly true. Many of you may be looking at me going, I don't even know what the atonement theory is. Here's the atonement theory. You remember way back in the Bible, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They chose to do the one thing God said not to do, eat of the fruit of the tree. We can argue day in and day out who was at fault. I believe it was Adam because Adam was to instruct Eve what to do. He didn't. She did wrong. He participated. They sinned. The bottom line is they chose willingly to sin against God. When God showed back up in the garden to walk with them, what did he find? No Adam and no Eve. Adam and Eve were hiding. Because they recognized the fact that the sin that they had committed had separated them from a holy God. They could no longer walk in His presence. They could no longer be in His presence because they had sinned against Him. They had tried to take care of that little problem, if you remember. They had tried to atone for their own sin. They tried to make restitution. They tried to fix the little problem. We happen to think it's a fig leaf. I don't know what leaf it was. It must have been a big fig tree is all I know. But they wrapped themselves in something to hide their sin. They were thinking that maybe by putting this on, God wouldn't recognize that they had sinned. We laugh at that, don't we? Yet we do it every day. We walk into this place with the most holy of dress and look that you've ever seen in all the world, knowing that yesterday we were so ungodly that we didn't want to be in God's presence. We do it every day. But God knew because God called out, Adam, where are you at? Was it because God didn't know? No, God knew. He wanted Adam to realize that they were separated. He wanted Adam to realize that he had sinned. So God brought him out from behind the bushes, as the story may go. (laughs) Not sure that that's what it was in the Bible. But he brought them out. And he took from them that covering that they had placed upon themselves. And what did he do next? He took an animal. And he slayed the animal, spilled its blood took from that animal its hide and made for them a covering. This was a propitiation. This was an atonement. This was God's way of saying it's only through the spilled blood that there can be restitution made for sin. It was pointing some thousands of years ahead to a place right outside of the northwestern wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. A little place today has a bus garage right below it. So as you look at the, the skull, the, the place that we recognize Jesus was murdered on a cross, you're looking at the buses parked right below it. But it was in this place that that situation in, in the garden was pointing towards. It was pointing towards the fact that only the blood of a spotless lamb could wash away all of sin. That there was this time that there would come a lamb that would atone for our sins. And it was only through the powerful work of an almighty, gracious, sovereign God 
that our sins are able to be washed away and made white as snow. You see, when he speaks of righteousness and he talks about faith, he doesn't talk about that righteousness we gain by doing the right thing. He talks about the righteousness we gain by believing in the right person. That person is Jesus Christ. See, the only way to stand righteous before a holy God is to be covered in the blood, the blood that flowed from the body of Jesus Christ for our sins. Flip the Philippians chapter 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians, here again, being a letter being written to the church by Paul and Timothy. In the third chapter of Philippians, verse 7, Paul writes these wonderful words that ring home in my ears as I think about this goodness and this righteousness that is walking in light. He says this in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Paul starts off saying this, I have done a lot of things in my life that are good. If you remember his story, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, the one who knew the law inside and out, the one who righteously in his mind defended the word of God by slaying those who would say they didn't have to obtain to the law, but had another way. (laughs) Jesus. There, There was this guy that was so righteous in the law that he would physically defend it. He says, but what things were gained to me, I've now counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. He's saying, all the things I ever had I have lost because of one thing, because of my belief in Jesus Christ. He says, but now that I look at them, they're trash, they're rubbish. And he says, in the end of verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God by faith he's saying all those things I ever did to be right with God are trash they're rubbish they're worthless he said the only righteousness I have before a holy God is because of what Christ did for me upon a cross He goes on to say in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. See, when Paul looked at righteousness, Paul said he counted nothing that he had as a gain, but instead he counted everything that he had as a loss to gain Christ He desired only to know Christ and only to know what Christ had done. And it was those things that he gained in him, that he gained in Christ, that were important. And it was those things that he held to, that he might know the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of resurrection. And it's this characteristic of righteousness that Paul calls us in Ephesians. Chapter 5, to live out. That's the introduction to the second point of my message that we started two weeks ago. So I ask you this, church. Where's your righteousness? What do you count 
as your righteousness? Is it the fact that you're at church every Sunday? Is it the fact that you serve on any committee that you're asked on? Is it the fact that when a family's hurting that you'll pray for them? Is it the fact that when there's a family in need you'll give? Is your righteousness wrapped up in the things that you do? Or is your righteousness wrapped up in what Christ did? And it's like Paul said, you can take all the things that I ever gained, all the things I ever did, and throw them in a garbage can if you'll just let me have Jesus. If you'll just let me have Jesus and the power of the resurrection, you can take everything this world has ever given me. Where's that heart in our church? Where's that heart in us individually as Christians? Would we be willing to give up everything to only have Jesus? Do we count all the things in our life as lost to gain Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? See, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. There's only one way to be in right standing with Jesus or with God, and that's through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and belief. That what he did upon that cross is everything, all that had to be done to pay for the penalty of your sin. And then, Paul tells us, if that is what you believe, if that's your faith, that fruit should hang on your tree. When the world looks at you, and they see the goodness you do, because this church does many, many good things. We could have testimony after testimony after testimony for hours of the things this church has done in the last two years I've been here. We do good things. But does the world see it as us doing good things? Or do they see it as Jesus Christ doing good things through us? My question to you this morning is, first and foremost, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, no fruit on your tree is good. No fruit on your tree is righteous. You must come to believe in what He did for you. Second, if you do know Him as your Lord and Savior... Are the things that you do or the life that you live for His glory, to show His righteousness in your life, to honor God in everything that you do, from the words you say to the way you eat your food to how you interact with people day in and day out? Is the world coming to know your Jesus because of the righteousness provided by Jesus Christ in your life? If not this morning, the altar is open for you to come and ask for forgiveness because to not show his righteousness is to sin against a holy God because he gave everything for you when he gave his only begotten son to die upon a cross. All he asks is that you live a life that glorifies him, as Paul said. This morning you can come and ask for that forgiveness. It's available. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.